This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Center for Theology and Religious Studies. Today's episode is the last snapshot from the Oslo-Vlande Commemorative Multi-Religious Identities Conference held in March of 2022 at CTR. And this time we will listen to Folke Küster, who is not only an honorary doctor at CTR, but also professor of comparative religion and missiology at the Johannes Gutenberg Universität in Mainz, Germany. And I will now hand over the word to Mika Hekangas, who will allude to the fact that Professor Küster will also give a lecture in relation to his becoming uh, honorary doctor at CTR. And now I will give the word to Mika Hekangas, who will allude to the fact that Professor Küster will also give a lecture in May of 2022 in relation to becoming honorary doctor at CTR. And this will be published as a separate episode. So... Um... I would like to introduce to you Professor Volker Küster from Mainz. He's a very well-known figure in Lund because actually he belongs to our faculty as an honorary honorary doctor. Uh, This kind of a COVID honorary doctor and we will be celebrating him uh, in May actually. But anyways, he's already... uh, officially that. So, Volker, welcome to your second home. Thank you. Well, first of all, of course, I would like to thank the organizers for all the work you put into this. We have been busy with this writing emails forth and back for two years now, so I'm quite happy to be here. Um, Many faces in the audience are very familiar to me from former conferences that also have organized in Lund. Ossoff would have actually been very happy to be here at this conference. It's uh, much of his spirit is around, uh, I feel. And yesterday the students shared their experience with him as a supervisor. I, as a colleague, can say it was just the same, you know. He, he was listening to you asking, saying, yoho, yoho. And, uh, you know, Sometimes I thought he he has some spirit of a trickster or tokebi, uh, as the Koreans say. But then the next moment he comes around the corner with very sharp questions, uh, uh, always encouraging. Um, so he was a great friend, and I'm happy to be here um, to honor him. Uh, when I was following the papers during the last uh, two days, Um, I felt a lot of similarities on what we are busy with, and I also want to share a lot of uh, pictures with you, but I also want to uh, put up some theoretical uh, questions on this whole uh, language game and terminologies. Not much is happening here with my... Let's see... Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. Okay. Okay. So what you see here is an impression from an art exhibition I had the pleasure to organize in Yogyakarta during a conference on Muslim-Christian dialogue. And we brought together three Muslim and three Christian artists, and at the opening of this exhibition, exhibition, we also had a talk show, and four of the six 
artists to Christian to Muslim were present. And we have talking, been talking several times about spirituality already uh, here. And the artists all said, well, you know, we may be Muslim, we may be Christian, but we meet in the space of spirituality. And one of the artists present in the, his, he was not present in the talk show, but his paintings were present, is Hendato. He is a Catholic, but a convert from Islam. And he's living in the Kraton area. So he is living close to the Sultan's palace, still as a Catholic Christian. And he's very much involved in this um, Japanese mysticism. So that's uh, the space where uh, Christianity and Islam meet in Yogyakarta. And this painting is uh, the, uh, John and, and Jesus, uh, the baptism of Jesus. And the interesting thing in this picture is that the bird is not coming down, as you would expect the spirit coming down, but the bird is flying up. And I think that has to do with his Muslim background. Yeah, this idea that Jesus is the son of God uh, is still something he's struggling with. So what you have here is a kind of elevation of, of Jesus, actually. Like you had the discussion um, in the ancient church uh, under the term of adaptionism. And again, in this painting, the uh, risen Christ, you can see this bubble above his head. Yeah? Uh, so it's not just an easy way up. So he's still struggling with this idea that, that Jesus has been risen from the dead. And finally, his reflection on the risen Christ. You can see that the eyes of Jesus are going to his feet with the marks of the cross. So again, the artist is reflecting what does it mean that uh, in Christ you have God and human being and that Christ has risen. Yeah, so you can see that he is, he is struggling yeah, with his new face uh, from this background of his uh, Muslim um, upbringing because in the Quran, as you know, Jesus is venerated as one of the prophets, but he's not the son of God. And Muslim artist present in the exhibition was Keiji Habib, and, and he uh, brought this uh, painting series of the prophets. And the last image is Muhammad as a prophet. And this is, again, this uh, Javanese mysticism that you can see in this uh, painting, this heart here, the, the center um, of the face, and you have a visual portrait of Mohammed, uh, which is, of course, very controversial. And I, I wrote a book on Christian art in Indonesia under the title Between Pancasila and Fundamentalism. Uh, so these artists who were in the exhibition all told me that they have been under pressure from fundamentalist movements regarding their artworks. So these were four of the artists who were present on the right, Newman Dasane, who we will turn to now, next to him, Kenji Habib, and on the left side, Vishnu Sasonko, he has also Muslim background, but became Christian, and Bakhtia Assam, who is also a Muslim artist. 
Newman Dasane is uh, from the island of Bali, so Indonesia is majority uh, Muslim, but uh, Bali is an exception and Hindu island, the only place where Hinduism is a minority, a majority religion outside of India. And he converted to Christianity, but tries to give his Christian faith um, a Balinese uh, image. And when we organized an exhibition for him in the early 90s, we called it the beautiful gospel. And what you see here is an early uh, painting uh, from the 70s he made, the Ten Virgins. And you can see that the virgins are dancing and going up to the light. And some have the lights, the candles, others have not. But they are not really separated. And the idea behind this is that in the Balinese context, it, the, the central principle is harmony. Um, so you have to have harmony uh, between good and evil, um, and, and this is expressed for him in the story of uh, the Ten Virgins, uh, but also in, in the story of Mary and Martha. So complementarity, harmony, is a, is, is a very important uh, for his art, and that's why we choose those that title The Beautiful um, gospel. You can ask yourself who is Mary, who is Martha in this painting. Yeah? Because he said we, we need both. Yeah? We need Mary and we need Martha. This is an, uh, another one of his uh, Ten Virgins painting that has been hanging a long time in my study. And of course he's also venerating the beautiful woman of Bali in his paintings. Yeah? So, and here you have a market scene, uh, as you can see it uh, when you, you drive through the island. And the, the light is coming uh, from within this group of women. They all are focused on this light. Uh, you see the market stands, and his idea is that God is already present in Bali. His light, her light, is already shining. This is one of my favorite uh, pictures of, of him, uh, an early Batik. Um, and if you wouldn't know, you probably wouldn't identify this as an image of Jesus. It's the creation of sun and moon. So you see he already has thrown the, the uh, ball of the sun into the sky. And if you look to the other hand, you can see the crescent of the moon. So the next moment he will throw the ball of the moon also into the sky. So he took this from the iconography of the dancing Shiva, but while Shiva is not only uh, the creator, but also the preserver and the destroyer in this image of the Shiva Nataraja, he only took this idea of the dance as creation. And you find that in the Christian tradition, in the Orthodox uh, tradition and, and, and in the Jewish Christian idea of uh, wisdom, that uh, Jesus is playing, the wisdom is playing in front of God. So I find this a very uh, good translation of the idea of Trinity and Christology into the Balinese uh, context. The dance is a prayer in front of God. And, and uh, at the same time, God is present in the dance, and here Christ is present already in creation. 
um, and they dance toward Christ, and usually Shiva is sending them out to fight. But if you look at the second picture, you will see that Christ is turning the, the spears against his own chest. Yeah, so it's, it's, it, he is transforming this, this war dance into uh, a Christological message about the crucified Christ. And you can see here the beams of the cross behind the dancer. This is a sermon, not on the field or the mount, but the sermon on the beach. So Christ came to Bali on the beach and people are dancing towards him. And now, all of a sudden, in 2004, with a tsunami the, 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 and the Balinese bombings, you may remember that there have been some Muslim extremists who threw bombs into the uh, tourist uh, discotheques and people died. This world of the beautiful gospel, the harmony was disturbed. And he was painting this, which I would interpret as a Gethsemane picture, uh, Christ contemplating on why do these children have uh, to suffer that you see in the front. And if you look at their hands, you can see they already have these dancing uh, gestures. So the next moment they will probably get up and express their suffering in dance. In the background, you can still see shadows of these ships that we see in the other uh, painting. But the, the world of Bali, the harmony has been disturbed, and that also uh, can be seen in the change of colors in, in his works. And interestingly, he has painted this uh, painting the uh, five minutes before the fall, uh, very early in the 70s, now, if you read this picture in the line of the tsunami, we are told that the animals ran to the inside of the country and the tourists went to take pictures of the tsunami. So the tourists died and the animals survived. And if you look here, then you can see the, enemies, uh, the animals are running away because they feel this trembling of the, of the upcoming fall. So there was something of this knowledge already in his artworks. He not only referred to the iconography of Shiva, but also of Krishna, and he painted this uh, picture, which is called Krishna Christ. He depicts Krishna as a shadow puppet, as you can see. But if you look closely, you will see that the face has several shadows. And Dazan is asking, cannot be one of these shadows be the shadow of Christ? Yeah, so again, he is uh, bringing this uh, uh, Christian um, ideas into the context of Hindu iconography. And as you know, Krishna is actually an avatar, an incarnation of Vishnu. So that's the, the bridge that he is taking here. And in front, you can see Mary and Martha dancing to what's Jesus, and again you can ask who is Mary and who is Martyr. This is also on this face uh, after the 
tsunami and the 2002 bombings. And again, you can see Christ dancing on the cross, but it's much more ex uh, um, expressive now, a uh, 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 crucifixion scene. It's called the rain of blood, so you can see the blood dripping down uh, the painting, and there are shadows of evil figures left and right, shadow puppets that are the demons in uh, the shadow puppet place. Dazane is in dialogue with Hindu artists. He's not only a painter, he's also a dancer. And he gets the masks from a mask carver, Newman Seppert. And I visited him several times together with Dazane. And Dazane said in the beginning, well, I tried to um, ask him to create certain masks for me, but that was not such... Uh, a success because they didn't have the spirit. So he decided he goes there and picks whatever masks he feels has the spirit and then asks him to make little changes so they can, that he can use these masks for his uh, Christian uh, dance choreographies. And Seppert himself is of course for a living, his wife is selling some of the masks in the market, but then he always hides those masks from her where he thinks they have the spirit, because he wants to uh, give them to, to a village community um, who is using these masks then really for uh, religious purposes. And this was one of his uh, favorite works, so he kept it in, 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 in his house and he didn't want to, he didn't finish it so he, you know, that his wife cannot bring it to, to the market because once it is painted um, then she would, would sell it because he said this is a piece that has a spirit and it was a period of over four years that I convinced him to sell it to me so it's now we have the spirit in a sense in our uh, living room. Again, spirituality here is a dialogue bridge. Uh, if you see how oh, they talk about uh, which mask has a spirit and which mask doesn't. I also went to him, uh, to an artist who is painting in the Kamasan style. That's the earliest painting style in Bali. If you, if you look at it, then it's, it's the uh, transformation of shadow puppet to painting. Yeah, so the white background is still um, the uh, veil behind which the shadow puppets uh, are played. And here you have a de depiction of the dancing Shiva again. Uh, but again, of course, this is a tree unity, as Padika would put it, yeah, of, of Brahma, uh, Vishnu and uh, Shiva. And then, of course, for a living, uh, he sells these works that are done by uh, his students, and you can clearly see, even with this little reproduction, the difference in, in quality between the style that he is using and that his uh, pupils, that's much more uh, um, less sophisticated. This is uh, in, in Kama, the village of Kamasan. It's a uh, hall in which the local uh, uh, king would uh, function as a judge. And, and these are the oldest, oldest paintings of the uh, 
Kamasan style in the roof of this hall, uh, but unfortunately they are painted on asbest uh, panels, so actually they are what we call in German Sondermüll, yeah? so you, uh, it's a very uh, dangerous uh, material, of course. Uh, Sibylle has already uh, talked about Uttarananda, and uh, luckily enough, Sibylle, I also have this painting that you have been discussing in color, so people can uh, see it now uh, in color as well. But I start with one of his earliest uh, Christian themes, the washing of the feet. That was a commissioned work by Aloysius Pieris. Um, that has been quoted already yesterday by Mika, a Jesuit Christian liberation theologian, who is running a dialogue center in, in Colombo, Sri Lanka. And he came into dialogue with Uttarananda and asked him to uh, make this painting for his uh, uh, dialogue center. And you see uh, Christ and the, uh, the disciples are wearing the robes of the monks, um, and actually, the, uh, the host, uh, the head of the family, would be supposed to greet the monks. Yeah? But here it is Jesus who is watch washing the feet of his disciples. So even a Buddhist who is looking at this will see there's something going on here that is not according to um, the ways of doing. And in the background, you can see the woman of the house, and behind her a servant with darker skin. Um, and the interesting thing is in Sri Lanka and Buddhism, the caste system has uh, prevailed. So it's not as uh, oppressive probably as it is in India, but still uh, Sri Lankan Buddhism still has the caste system. So this is a hint um, to a woman of uh, lower caste status probably. And, and what is... Uttarananda is doing, he's trying to bring into dialogue the figure of Jesus and, and the Buddha, and he's especially interested about this question of purity and purity. So the Zamatarian uh, woman, Jesus, is stepping across this border of uh, impurity, which is very important in the, in the caste system, yes, that, uh, and, and the Buddha did the same thing. Uh, with this uh, street cleaner, you can see he is touching him here, and his uh, disciples came toward the uh, uh, sunyata, the, the street uh, cleaner, off. Uh, but the Buddha said, "No, everybody can reach Nirvana." Mm -hmm. um, so he sees here both uh, the Buddha and the Jesus crossing these borders towards the uh, untouchables. Again, here, Jesus in, in, in the dress of a Buddhist monk, uh, turning to uh, the poor, the women, the uh, oppressed. And this is a very interesting uh, painting indeed, because here you see a Buddhist monk. And, and as you know, in the uh, Theravada tradition, the Buddhist monks go and ask for food. And it's not the monk who is saying, thank you for getting the food, but it's the person who is giving the monk who is saying, the food to the monk who is saying thank you, uh, thank you actually because he or she can do something for her good karma but here a poor beggar woman is asking the monk for food 
Yeah, so Uttarananda is a representative of the social engaged Buddhism. He is in dialogue with, with these uh, liberation theologians like Pieris. Um, so he is focusing on these um, social issues. Here you have the temptation of Jesus. And uh, here you have Judas. And interestingly, Judas has become a very important figure in some of his paintings. And I think that is also a, uh, a figure that he identifies with as a Buddhist artist because he is doubting in a way this idea, of course, that Jesus is the son of God and that he has risen, is risen from the dead. Yeah, you, here you have the uh, uh, carrying the cross and, and Mary and the beloved disciple and the snake on the cross that Sibylla also already referred to in this uh, nativity scene. So he is very aware of this idea that the life of Jesus has been endangered from um, the beginning. And, and he, is, he is in a way able to relate this to this idea of, of suffering um, and, and passion um, in Christianity. The next artist I want to turn to is Solomon Raj, a Lutheran priest and, and, and theologian. Uh, also certainly knew him because he did his PhD in Birmingham as well and visited there several times later on. And this is a very special painting I start with by Nandalal Bose. He is a Hindu artist from the so-called Hindu Renaissance, but he is painting the carrying of the cross. And the interesting thing is that uh, Tagore, one of the representatives of this um, Shanitekan Ashram, said the, the three big iconographic inventions are the dance of the Shiva, the smile of the Buddha, and the passion of Christ. Yeah, while Hinduism um, it, it is not very familiar with this idea of a God who is suffering, all of a sudden in the Hindu Renaissance uh, there was appreciation for this um, theology of the cross. So in the 60s, one in his early uh, prints, Solomon Raj referred to this picture of the Hindu Renaissance. But for the rest, you can hardly find any reference to Hindu iconography in, this, in his work. And uh, when I was thinking about this, and then in the 80s, we got familiar with Dalit theology. One evening over dinner, I asked him, Solomon, are you Dalit? And then he was a bit hesitant. I said, oh, well, I, I live in the city. There's a caste system that doesn't matter, and so on and so forth. But that taught me to interpret his artwork in a quite different way um, because he was also using Ethiopian icons. He has been working for Radio Voice of the Gospel in Ethiopia for some time. So I came to the conclusion that he is consciously rejecting using Hindu iconography because of the discrimination of the Dalits. 
Um, so here you can see the uh, flight into Egypt, but actually uh, these are the refugees that you had within India. Um, and uh, his, his um, lino cuts are very expressive, uh, while if, when he's doing the same in, in Batik, it becomes more soft, yeah, but still it has a clear uh, social uh, message. And here you have Christ uh, holding his arm around the Dalit family. Um, so actually Christ is present here twice. Yeah? So that's the Christ who is holding the arm around the family. But on the other hand, it's also an image of the Holy Family, of course. So Christ is present in the suffering of the Dalits. And now you have this uh, linocut by him. It's called Jesus the Teacher. And obviously here he is referring to Buddhist iconography. But at the same time, if you look at the uh, gesture of his hands, there's also some influence of uh, orthodox iconography. And here you have Jesus as a Buddha on the lotus. But finally, I also found one Batik of him where he is really portraying the Buddha. And here you have the rising Christ with um, the lotus flower. And so why he is using uh, Buddhist iconography, Ambedkar, the uh, great uh, antipode of, of uh, uh, Gandhi and the struggle for liberation, he was a lawyer and he was a Dalit activist. And he said, I was born as a Hindu, I cannot do anything about that, but I don't have to die as a Hindu. So he converted with 500,000 of his followers to Buddhism uh, right before his death. Uh, so I think um, what, he's, what uh, Solomon Raj is doing here is also an implicit dialogue with Ambedkar and his decision as a Dalit to convert to Buddhism. And as you can see here, uh, there's a lot of this popular art that is uh, 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 still uh, paying a lot of uh, tribute to Ambedkar. The left one is... Uh, actually the cover of a punk band, uh, Dalit punk band, and the right one shows uh, Ambedkar and the Buddha in one uh, painting. So now I come to a few theoretical remarks. Uh, these pictures I've shown you from different artists who are on the borders between two, two different uh, religions. If it comes to artistic representation in, in, in the global south still. The two most seen pictures are uh, da reprodu cheap reproductions of Da Vinci's uh, Holy Supper and, and Dura's Praying Hands. Uh, to prove that, I uh, went to an island in Papua, close to the city of Yayapura, and you see here a local artist, uh, and on his door he has this reproduction of the Holy Supper by uh, Leonardo da Vinci. So this would be mere transplantation. Then the second model of how this works, the contact between uh, different uh, cultures and religion is assimilation. And an uh, early example is the stone carving of the Nestorian stele. 
where you see the Nestorian cross on the lotus flower, and left and right you have Taoist uh, clouds and uh, then lilies as they are very uh, familiar in Christian iconography. Now, uh, having a post-colonial background, of course, you become uh, suspicious and say, oh, again, this is a symbol of Christian colonialism, planting the cross on the lotus. But if you look into the tradition of Hindu and Buddhist iconography, it's the lotus that always elevates the Buddha and, and, and the Hindu gods. So I would argue here the Christian cross is elevated uh, by the lotus. Then we come to this phase of accommodation. That means you try to uh, separate between form and content, but still you, should, you try to give Christian faith a local um, uh, look. And you have here the Madonna as a Chinese woman, but baby Jesus is still very much the little Baroque child from um, the uh, Western model. And an interesting detail is that Mary is barefoot. That would never be shown on a, a photo of, uh, on a picture, depiction of a Chinese woman because uh, that's a bit loose. Yeah, so probably the artist here was a Western artist uh, among the Jesuits who was trained in Chinese painting and he didn't know about this cultural code. Uh, this is one of my favorite neo-accommodation pictures from Japan from the 1930s. It's a silk painting by Luke Hasegawa and it shows the Annunciation. Uh, and you can see the, the angel is a woman uh, dressed in a beautiful white uh, kimono with the lily, uh, as we have seen in the Nestorian Stele. And, and it's spring, yeah, the sherry blossoms and, and the meadow with all the uh, flowers that Mary has been uh, collecting. Um, well, we have talked about contextualization and inculturation. And now uh, we are moving into what I call the global phase, so moving beyond this um, contextualization paradigm. You see here a painting by Bagong from Indonesia, Jesus in, in uh, uh, shirt and, and boxer shorts, and uh, the disciples also in, in, in the uh, dress of the global youth culture. But on the other hand, you see these traditional fishing boats, as you have seen in the paintings by Dazane. And if you look at the figures, they are all portrayed as shadow puppet figures, yeah, because they have all these three-fourths uh, profile. So it's still referring to traditional iconography, but on the other hand, it's taking up something from global culture. And what we see at the moment is that Christian art goes really local into the contemporary art scene. So you have here a picture of a happening by a Chinese artist, Su Yu Yang, and he has driven a herd of sheep into a gallery space, and then he elevated one sheep to uh, the ceiling. Yeah, no animal lives have been harmed, would be said in a, in a Hollywood movie. So this is his... Um, enactment of the lost sheep. Yeah, so you can see how this paradigm of contextualization is also changing these days yeah, in, in times of uh, globalization.
Well, if it comes to uh, contextual theology, you know my idea about these two big schools, liberation theology and inculturation and dialogue. Um, theologies, and very important, is the hermeneutical circle between text and context that is constantly moving on. And of course, now in times of globalization, that's why we are turning from what I would call from contextualization to localization. You cannot think anymore on the contextual without taking in consideration of the influences of globalization. But what you can see in the artworks is that there has been a lot of resistance of culture and religion against these um, forces of neoliberal economy who tries to have just one global consumer culture. Yeah, so religions and cultures are spaces of resistance. We have talked a lot about syncretism, hybridity these days, and double religious belonging. I saw that Chung Yong Chung is uh, among us on, on Zoom, so she is for me a, an example of being a Buddhist and a Christian. Paul Nitta lately also claimed to be Buddhist and uh, uh, Christian. Um, Zeichi Yagi is a figure that is close to the Kyoto school, so that uh, what we heard this morning. These are all people who integrate in, in their own personality uh, two faith traditions. And nowadays, of course, we are talking about a lot of multiple religious belonging, and that's the theme of our conference. The name of uh, Catherine Corneille came already up in one of the presentations. In the Netherlands, Manuela Kalski has done some research um, into this. I think we have also to name fundamentalism here, yeah, because that's total rejection yeah, of any kind of interaction. Um, and then, of course, um, dialogue as a dimension of religious exchange, and I personally prefer interface over against interreligious because I think it's never a dialogue between systems, but it's a dialogue between people of faith. But unfortunately, for instance, in the German language, you cannot uh, make this differentiation. Syncretism is a very contested term. You have this negative interpretation on the evangelical wing uh, of the mission movement, an ideal of purity and unmixed, which I think has never been the case. So I go here with a neutral interpretation of history of religion that says exchange between religions takes place wherever and whenever they meet. So let's face it. And then you have a positive interpretation uh, in contextual theologies. The earliest one is M.M. M. Thomas with his Christ-centered syncretism. And this image I showed from the Hindu Renaissance is the background of his whole idea. Yeah? Because he experienced as an Indian uh, coming from uh, the uh, Syrian Orthodox uh, tradition in, in India, that there have been Hindus who have been writing books about Christ and who have made images of Christ. Then you have the African theologian Mercy Amba Odoyoya, who speaks about creative syncretism. She says Christianity only will make chance in Africa if it takes from the African heritage what makes uh, Christianity strong 
as an African religion. And then you have Chung Yong Kyung, uh, who is talking about life-centered syncretism, and you can already see, yeah, if you compare Christ-centered syncretism to life-centered Christ, uh, syncretism, her position is, of course, much more vulnerable. For me, um, the, the, the category that might help, and I raised this question yesterday uh, already um, in the presentation of our philosopher friend, um, is integration. So in how far does one religious system manage to integrate elements from another religion in a way that it makes sense within its own system? I end with a few uh, questions. I raised that actually gestern to, uh, yesterday already to Persia. Where does religion shopping end and double multiple religious belonging begin? Then Authenticity is a vague category, probably, but I think we have to discuss this here. Yeah, what makes what makes uh, double or multiple religious uh, belonging really authentic, and where is it just shopping around? Um, and uh, the same thing that integration as a fluid category, as I introduced it in the context of syncretism, may help here as well. Well. We have this dialogue of life, dialogue of minds, dialogue of the hearts, and I think where it works best is the dialogue of life and the dialogue of hearts. Also, as we heard this morning from your uh, presentation, the mystic dimension, it always gets complicated if we talk dogma. Uh, uh, then we can basically come to a point that we agree to disagree. Uh, but there are many possibilities on the ethical side, uh, and there are many possibilities, I think, on the mystic side. So, who is the artist? If it comes to contextualization, artists with another religious background become agents of Christian contextualization. When the missionaries came to Africa and Asia, they commissioned local artists who come from other religious traditions and who, by creating an image that the missionaries ask them to do, take their own iconographic language. So they become agents, as non-Christians, they become agents of contextualization themselves. Then there are artists who converted from another religion to Christianity, and they use their cultural heritage for contextualization, uh, for contextualizing their new faith. So Newman Dasane um, is a typical example for that. Christian artists use iconographies of other religions to contextualize their Christian faith. And then there are artists who consider themselves non-Christian believers, but use still religious iconographies in their work, and I would claim that they also contribute to new religious iconographies, even though they are not themselves uh, religious. And then we have been talking about identity yesterday, so religious identity reconstructions. Artists unconsciously dwell on two or more religious traditions. Artists regard their experiments with different iconographic traditions as spiritual search. Yeah, so we have this idea of spirituality here. So it can be either done consciously or unconsciously. And then artists deliberately consider themselves as multiple belongers. To end this, uh, Solomon Raj, um, I wrote an article about him, Renunciation of Inculturation as Aesthetic Protest. 
um, because he was consciously rejecting Hindu iconography because of the Dalit uh, uh, discrimination. And on the other hand, he is looking, seeking an iconographic dialogue uh, with Buddhism. Uttarananda, um, it's a dialogue of uh, the arts, as uh, was stated by my two uh, predecessors uh, already, that this, uh, you have a, di art, a dialogue between the artists, you have a dialogue between the images, and you have a dialogue between the uh, uh, spectators and the works of art. Um, so he's comparing Jesus and Buddha. Judas is an surprisingly an identification figure for him regarding this whole I, reflecting on how is that possible. Um, and he had a Christian liberation theologian as mentor. Hendato, between Kasila and fundamentalism, he reads Christianity as a Muslim convert, spirituality for him is a dialogue bridge. And Dazane, he moves from this beautiful gospel uh, to an art that is much more um, aware of the disturbances that all of a sudden occurred. Both Raj and Dazane claim it is our heritage too, because in times of fundamentalism, they have become under pressure because Hindus say, you are colonizing our iconographic works. And they say, no, we have been born here, we have been raised in this tradition, so it's also part of our culture, even though we became Christian. Thank you very much. Thank you.